In this week's ASEAN Speaks podcast, it's a tale of two halves between ASEAN capital markets and the rest of developed markets. Asian central banks by and large have maintained a dovish fiscal position versus the hawks in US and Europe. First, we have Malaysia's 2022 budget on 29th of October, which is largely expected to be expansionary, and its debt ceiling will be raised to 65%. By the same vein, Thailand will raise its debt ceiling to 70% of GDP, but that has had a knock-on impact on the Thai baht, making it the worst-performing Asian currency this year. On this theme of Asian government's strategy of keeping their economies flush with liquidity, our focus today is on banks, particularly on the impact of recent policy announcements in Malaysia and Indonesia. In Malaysia, the Ministry of Finance has instructed banks to waive interest on loans under moratorium with immediate effect. And in Indonesia, Bank Indonesia has pushed for high financial inclusion by forcing banks to boost loan disbursement to micro and small to medium-sized enterprises and low-income earners. So to get a deep dive into these issues, Winston Poon will lead discussions with Maybank Kemeng strategists for today's show. We cross over to Winston now. Good morning, everyone. It's 8 o'clock on Monday. Uh, this morning, we have a number of speakers. Um, so Jaime on Malaysia Budget Review, Desmond on Malaysia Banks, Joye and Rami on Indonesia, Joye and Talon on Singapore, Jackie on Philippines Update and Cheating on Plantations. Uh, let's start with Malaysia Budget Review. Uh, so Jaime, Malaysia will table next year's budget on 29 October. Given the interplay between politics, pandemic and the need to spur economic recovery, what can we expect from Budget 2022? Good morning, everyone. Um, budget 2022, we think, will continue with uh, expansionary fiscal policy. Uh, budget deficit will remain above 6% of GDP for the third year in a row. Uh, we are looking at 6.3% uh, ratio next year, although this is uh, down from uh, our forecast of 6.8% and official forecast of 6.5% to 7% for this year. Um, basically, the budget will focus on what we call the 4R team, recovery, resilient, reform and restructuring. Um, it will be supportive of domestic demand recovery uh, via higher gross uh, development expenditure allocation, which is uh, positive for construction and uh, infrastructure uh, sectors. Uh, budget 2022 will also be positive, uh, in our opinion, for property, auto and uh, tourism sector with extensions of fiscal incentives and uh, tax exemptions for purchases of properties and passenger cars, as well as for domestic tourism uh, spending. Um, this budget will also include additional 45 billion ringgit for COVID-19 fund uh, after the 65 billion ringgit allocated and spent in 2020 and 2021. Uh, what this means is actually we'll see continuation of uh, measures to mitigate the socio-economic impact of COVID-19, such as uh, cash handouts, uh, wage subsidies, grants and funding schemes for micro, small and medium enterprises, as well as uh, a host of measures for the job markets, things like a training, reskilling and upskilling program, as well as uh, workers' hiring incentives. Um, the extra COVID-19 fund will also go into broader and additional COVID-19 vaccinations as the more infectious variant of a COVID-19 virus, such as the Delta variant, necessitated uh, booster shots and vaccinations of the young. Um, 
Budget 2020 will continue with uh, economic reform and restructuring agenda. Uh, this will include spurring domestic direct investment, uh, which is currently lagging the recovery in foreign direct investment. So we expect incentives and allocation to boost uh, local production capacities and supply capabilities for economic resilience and securities. Uh, we should see incentives to further accelerate economic restructuring uh, to boost productivity and competitiveness through technology adoption, automation, digitalization, uh, as well as uh, spurring innovation and creativity. Uh, this will be uh, also supported by the earlier mentioned higher growth development expenditure that will include uh, digital infrastructure capex. Uh, sustainability will also feature uh, with focus on inclusive human capital, social and regional developments, as well as investing and developing in uh, green economy through the management of environment, uh, natural resources and climate change. Uh, so we think one of the key areas here would be renewable energy. Uh, a lot of people are talking about uh, what are tax measures uh, in budget 2022. Uh, we do not expect the budget to come with tax hikes like uh, windfall tax, GST comeback, and uh, new taxes like capital gains tax or carbon tax. Uh, at least not yet. Uh, I think it's too late to charge windfall tax on glove manufacturers, for example, because the profit cycle has peaked in second quarter or first half of this year. Although another round of voluntary contribution by the industry to the COVID-19 fund is possible. And as for banks, we think the interest-free loan moratorium is a trade-off uh, to windfall tax. Uh, moreover, if the government were to resort to these tax measures to boost revenue, um, there is no reason really for the government to raise the government domestic debt ceiling to 65% of GDP from 60% of GDP. And uh, just to remind everyone, uh, the pre-budget statement on 31st August uh, stated that the budget 2022's revenue strategy will focus on three things. One, managing revenue leakages. Second, strengthening tax compliance. And third, a review of tax incentive on investment. So there's no mention about uh, uh, major tax measures. Um, I'll, stop, I'll stop here. Thanks. Uh, you, you mentioned Malaysia is expected to revise the debt ceiling from 60 to 65%. Any thoughts on the medium-term fiscal outlook? I think we, we expect budget deficit to GDP ratio to go sub 6% and even below 5% from 2023 onwards. Uh, this is with the expiry of COVID-19 fund. COVID-19 fund is for the period 2020 to 2022. Why I say this is because, uh, bear in mind, uh, for this period 2020 to 2022, when budget deficits are around 6% to 7% of GDP, about two percentage points of that actually come from COVID-19 fund. But in any case, I think uh, for clarity on whether GST is coming back or whether government will introduce new taxes like capital gains tax or carbon tax as new sources of tax revenue, uh, medium-term tax revenue strategy um, will be uh, unveiled next year. Uh, that will holistically look at tax policies, administration, legal frameworks, and measures. So we think this is a more optimal approach uh, rather than the piecemeal tax measures to boost revenue uh, in the short term. So I think in, in as far as to your question about medium-term fiscal outlook, um, I think um, 
uh, medium term narrative and uh, uh, greater fiscal transparency would be key, especially I suppose to address concerns about uh, sovereign credit rating risk. Uh, bear in mind also uh, the presentation of budget 2022 will also come with the tabling of Fiscal Responsibility Act that will uh, attempt uh, or go towards improving the transparency in terms of our uh, fiscal policy. Thanks, Suhaimi. Let's move to Malaysia Bank's Desmond. The government has asked banks to waive interest on loan moratoriums. Was it a surprise? And what do you think is the impact on bank earnings? And are you changing the outlook on banking sector? Yeah, thanks, Winston. So yes, it was a negative surprise because the present loan moratorium, which took effect early July, actually extends to the end of December and we did not expect any revision in terms midway through the moratorium itself. So as you know, the interest waiver will apply to borrowers in the B50 income bracket and will be for three months from October to December 2021. How this impacts the banks other than from a cash flow perspective is that they will likely report larger than expected modification losses arising from this interest waiver. So the details are scarce at the moment, but based on our guesstimates, we estimate a total modification loss of about $1.42 billion for the banks in our coverage versus about $1.35 billion back in 2020. This is an average 7% impact to earnings this year. But what we would like investors to bear in mind is that the modification loss is one-off in nature, and it will be thought back in future years over the life of the loans. Um, at present, there is ample liquidity in the banking system, and the banks are well capitalized. Moreover, we expect banks' earnings to rebound in 2022 in the absence of such mod losses. As such, while the latest development is a dampener to overall sentiment, and the share prices do reflect that, um, fundamentals are still very much intact for the banks and should improve as the economy recovers. As such, we are still positive on the overall banking sector, actually. Thanks, Desmond. Um, let's move to Indonesia and start with economics um, by Joye. Joye, Indonesia exports and trade surplus set new records in August. What are the drivers and do you think Indonesia's trade surplus is sustainable? Hi, morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, so Indonesia's exports uh, came uh, way above expectations, uh, jumped by 64% in August to 21 billion US dollars. That's the fastest pace on record and also uh, far above consensus estimate of 36%. Uh, trade surplus widened to a historical high of $4.7 billion, uh, doubling from the surplus that we saw last year. Uh, commodities have been the key driver for exports, especially as prices for palm oil and coal continue to climb. Uh, the palm oil exports rally has really been driven by the price effect. Uh, value, export value, value has risen by 56% in the first seven months of this year, uh, although volume has fallen by 0.6% over the same period. Other key contributors to growth were mineral fuels and iron and steel. Uh, as for the outlook, I think uh, trade surplus will likely extend into the fourth quarter as commodity exports remain resilient, uh, but will likely narrow from the current level as imports also improve with the economy reopening. Uh, China's slowdown may also weigh on demand for commodities like iron and steel, and also the current uh, high palm oil price has most likely peaked. Um, but having said that, with uh, the better than expected trade surplus that we've seen uh, year to date, I think current account balance for this year could come in better than our cast. Thanks, Joey. Um, let's move to Indonesia banks. We have Rami. Uh, Rami, 
Bank Indonesia introduced a new measure to boost bank lending to the MSME sector, which means micro, small and medium enterprises. Uh, can you explain what this is about and do you have concern about higher asset quality risk over the medium term, considering the MSME sector tends to have higher NPL ratio? Um, so the central bank uh, will require uh, the banks in Indonesia to reach a certain portion of MSME lending. Uh, that's uh, 20% by June next year, and then up to 25% by June 2023, and 30% by June 2024. And banks will also be required to report their MSME lending portion twice a year uh, at the end of uh, every semester. And starting 2023, uh, uh, the banks will also be subject to a 0.1% penalty of the unfulfilled amount of MSME lending. Um, in terms of how this will uh, affect the sector, uh, we actually don't expect that this will change uh, the, our near-term loan growth outlook. But we do hope that it will, uh, we seem to see a slight shift in the loan composition uh, for uh, banks like BBCAS. Uh, uh, BBCA has the lowest MSME lending portion among our coverage, which is at only 15%. Uh, but the risk to such change, uh, as you said earlier, is of course a potential increase in NPL, especially if the economic growth uh, remains weak. And in this case, however, we think it is more likely for the banks to choose to pay the penalty uh, since the gap from the current portion of only 15% to the targeted MSME lending is too wide. Uh, but for the SOE names, they are actually closer, if not already meet, uh, oh, sorry, already exceed the 2023 target. Uh, therefore, we see less risk of new NPL formation uh, in the SOE banks. Okay, thanks, Rami. Now let's move to Singapore and start with Joye on economics. Last week, Singapore released its um, external trade and employment data. Joye, can you share with us what are the key takeaways? Okay. Uh, so non-oil domestic exports growth uh, in Singapore eased to a nine-month low of 2.7% in August. Uh, that's mainly because uh, non-electronics, particularly non-monetary gold, uh, fell from last year's high base because of the decline in gold prices. Uh, however, electronics exports stayed resilient, rising by 17%, uh, and also to the highest level in nearly three years, uh, boosted by semiconductors amid resilient uh, global chip demand. Uh, we are maintaining our 2021 Nordex growth forecast at 9% uh, as demand for chips and related equipment will likely continue providing support. Uh, but downside risks do remain with China's slowdown and tight freight capacity. Uh, global container freight rates are now uh, four times higher than a year ago and have yet to peak. Uh, on the labour market, uh, in the second quarter, total employment fell by 16.2k, uh, uh, reversing the 12.2k increase in the first quarter. And the phase two heightened alert measures have hit uh, consumer-facing sectors such as uh, FMB, uh, where 6,000 jobs were lost, arts, entertainment, recreation, uh, 1,400 jobs were uh, lost, and also retail trade uh, with 2.6k uh, jobs lost. The jobs market recovery will likely be bumpy and uneven across sectors, despite the economic reopening. Uh, the job support and wage subsidy scheme will also end in September, and that may prompt uh, more firms in the distressed sectors to downsize. Uh, we are looking at employment growth of around 50,000 this year, uh, which would be a weak recovery from the 167,000 decline in 2020. One more highlight uh, to note is that the number of job vacancies uh, jumped to a historical high 
of 92,000 in the second quarter, uh, mainly due to the construction and manufacturing sectors, which are more dependent on non-resident workers. Uh, and these two sectors contributed to nearly half of the increase in job vacancies. Thanks. Uh, let's move to Thailand, still on Singapore uh, equity strategy. Uh, Thailand, Singapore is considering new measures to support the domestic equity market. Can you explain how this will work and any beneficiaries you expect? Yeah, morning, Vincent. Uh, so the Singapore government, uh, Tomasek and EDP, have launched two funds with a total funding of around $2 billion uh, that has mandates to assist high-growth companies use Singapore as a listing destination. Uh, SGX is also looking at ways to boost liquidity for the market. We think this is a step in the right direction, uh, but the proof will be in the pudding. SGX has for years now had an erosion of relevance to other global financial centers, especially Hong Kong, uh, by having a very old world skew to its listings. 77% of the SDI's market cap is financials, property, and industrials. This is out of step with Singapore's economic growth objectives, which is more focused on ICT, pharma, precision manufacturing, wealth, fintech, and sustainability. So, if these initiatives help change the market, they could drive better liquidity and valuations. And that should have a trickle-down effect, not just on the IPO side and the valuation clusters, but also on the secondary market as well, particularly for the small and mid-cap high-growth companies. Uh, we've done some screens, and what they indicate is that some of the stocks that will benefit are names like AEM, Nanofilm, UMS, Comfort Delgro, CEWL, Semcorp, SIIC, as well as Sun Power. 